Hello and welcome to In Development. This is the first episode. My name is Kim and In Development is a gaming podcast where I'll be chatting to indie developers about their game and their experiences in the indie dev world. In this episode, we're talking to Ashton McCallan of Machine Spirit. She is a game designer, programmer and GM, creating both digital games and tabletop RPGs. How are you? I'm doing really well. How are you going? I'm doing excellent. Thank you so much for joining me. We met at the Indie Games Room a couple of years ago when you were developing Mananoc, but now you're working on tabletop RPGs. Yeah, um, I'm working on a, bun- uh, on a bunch of things. Some of it's digital, some of it's, um, some of it's tabletop, and it's all a bit of a mess at the moment. Everything's all going on at once. Wow, so that must be a lot to think about at the moment, but uh, I want to go back in time a little bit and sort of discuss your journey coming into development. So I guess starting with how did you actually get into games? Yeah, so um, I think uh, I kind of always wanted to make video games at some level, or make games at some level, but it wasn't until I got to university, I realized when I was doing my university selection, instead of doing teaching, I could actually go and do information technology because there wasn't, uh, there weren't games courses around at the time. And so I went and did information technology and I was, I was there uh, at university studying information technology and getting a little bit disheartened because it was all a little bit dry. And then Tony Albrecht, who is a an important person in the uh, in the Australian indie scene uh, or the Australian game scene came and delivered a lecture at my university and basically said you don't get into games for the money you don't get into games for the fame or the sex because there isn't any of that <laughs> you you start making games because that was that is what you were put on the planet to do you can't not make games and that really rang true with me. And the, the other thing that he told me that is the, the like most important information that I always pass on to people who are looking to get into games is make games. It's really obvious, but if you're at school and you're just doing your schoolwork, or if you're, at a, uh, if you're in a games course and you're only doing the coursework, you're not making games for yourself, you're not making your own things, you're probably not invested enough to start with and B, you're not going to have anything unique that really shows who you are as a person who makes games when you want to get into that industry. So I started working on on some new things of my own straight away. I started taking my university projects and started making them into games projects. From there on out, I was like, okay, well, even if I can't get a uh, if I can't get a job in games, I'll start my own company and then I'll have a job in my own company. And that was Machine Spirit. And that's Machine Spirit. So yeah, that's that's. That's the name that I've been using for my game development. So I got out of university. I picked up a day job because you need money. And I'm scared of asking investors for money. So, I mean, you can do Kickstarter and things like that. But I, I am a person who doesn't like handling other people's money. So I was like, I'll just do things on the back of my day job. That seems like a good way to go. It's a really good way to go. John Kane, who made Killing Time at Light Speed and Mallow Drops, gave a really good talk at one of the GCAP, Game Connect Asia Pacifics, recently called Don't Give Up Your Day Job, where he talks about the value of developing games in your spare time while actually being able to feed yourself, which is really, really valuable. So I started working on games in my spare time. And so in 2013, I think, or 2014, I can't remember, honestly, we released our first title called Amygdala, 
which is a procedurally generated platformer, roguelike, a lot of people call it. And we we built it and it was an absolute nightmare because we hadn't done anything like that before. We used the wrong software, we used the wrong technology, we went for the wrong platform, we made all the mistakes we possibly could, and we still managed to get it onto Steam. So back when Steam was like, you had to get voted in, so that was a, a bit of a miracle to me. That's a huge achievement, and I guess that ties back into the make games. You still produce something. Yeah, even if even if the... I'm very proud of Amygdala. I'm very, very sad about the fact that we that our beautiful game performs so badly because none of us were engine programming experts and none of us knew about like optimization and things like that so i'm sad that it performs so poorly but as a game design and as a as a piece of art i'm very very proud of it and uh, and that's a thing that goes in my portfolio it is and so from there was it monad milk that was next yeah, so after that, I got really interested in the idea, and I still am in, in, interested in the idea of games that can help people in some way or uh, help people with their lives, living their lives well. I refer to it sometimes as being as like pastoral care through game design. The the idea of like when people are having trouble with a certain element of their life, not like a practical problem, but like an emotional problem or or things like that, the idea that a game can come to you and speak to you and and a game can communicate with you in a way that no other kind of art really can and it can help you through those times. A game can talk to you about grief or, or the, fear, uh, the fear associated with grief, um, like that dragon cancer, or a game can talk to you about why you should get over yourself and stop thinking you're so fucking amazing and calm the fuck down. So yeah, a game can tell you to get over yourself. You're actually really small and you should, and maybe it's time to take a step back and look at the amazing, beautiful size of the very complicated universe. There are all of these sorts of things that games can do and make a really powerful connection. That's what I want to do. When I was a kid for a while, I wanted to be a priest and then it turns out they don't let gay atheist trans women do that job. So I was like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do the priest thing, but by making games. I think that's really kind of noble, I guess. And there's a lot now tying self-care and mental health up with gaming. And it's definitely an avenue that needs to be explored. I know personally, it's something that I find useful. And uh, for me, like in particular, Monadnock, I play when I'm stressed. So it's one of those ones that I return back to when I need something to focus on, but it's peaceful it doesn't require violence or anything like that and I feel because it's non-verbal and for me I get to paint this story on top of what I'm playing yeah and that was so Monadnock was the first of our games that we started developing that tries to take on this ethos we wanted a game that talked about people landscape and the place of people in their landscape and their relationship to it and the cycles of the nature in those places and we wanted to make sure that the that the connection between the people and the landscape, or in this case, the, the figure that represents it, was one of working together, understanding each other, and not one that is adversarial or violent. And so it's, it's really lovely to hear you talk about it like that. And I still definitely want to get it to a place where we can be like, yeah, cool, this is a finished thing. We're just not sure what the path is for, to that at the moment, especially because we've been dealing with life stuff and things like that. It's that thing of, well, I have this baby. 
I have this game that I that I want to get out there, but I need to find the right time for it. I need to make sure that I have the resources and things like that. And it's definitely something you can always go back to. Like you said, you're working your day job and doing this in the side, which is how it works, I guess, with life sometimes. But now that that's on the back burner, you've moved into your RPGs that you're working on. How's that going? The thing about the day job thing, and the fair warning I have to offer, is watch out for, like, watch out for burnout because that's that's what happened to me. <laughs> that's the reason that Monadnox ended up uh, ended up on the back burner is because I just burnt myself out. I went too hard and uh, and I just didn't have the resources there within myself the to give it everything it needs. Yeah, exactly the spoons. So that's the reason that I've I've had to take a step back from it. Whereas for me, there is this other kind of game design that gives me spoons because it doesn't require me to do programming. And programming is the thing that I learned in university. And that's the, that's the bit that where I have to like do hard work. It's, it's hard for me to do programming, but it, it makes games and I really like that. Whereas for my tabletop stuff, it comes very naturally to me. So almost the creative side sort of just flows. Yeah, the great thing about uh, designing tabletop games is that you can build a tabletop game pretty much entirely on your own, and you don't have to. And the like, you don't have to do as much work to have a product that you can play test and be like, "Cool, I've got an idea." I, you get it down, you can test it, and you can just go over it and over it again. So, tabletop role playing games, or as I like to call them, story games or narrative games, but that's a contentious topic. Um, <laughs> For me, I really like them because they're because when you're doing a role-playing game and you're telling a story amongst friends and you're constructing these narratives with your human voices, you get a lot of emotional impact out of that. And that gives me a really good in to do that, that pastoral work through game design because I'm because I'm getting a really solid in to people's emotional responses. How much setup does a tabletop RPG require? Are you creating characters for everyone and then they come and join in or do you just create the world? There are different kinds of tabletop RPGs. Some things like Dungeons and Dragons have lots of monsters pre-built. There are some games that have whole worlds pre, uh, pre-written and things like that. Whereas for me, because I'm a designer more than I am a writer, the most important thing is using systems to make people feel things that then they might learn about themselves, about others, about life. One of my favorite things is using math as a way of doing magic tricks and getting in people's heads. The best example of this is is my game, The Republic, which is about using large piles of dice to talk about element-bending superheroes who are actually social justice warriors, and we can talk about oppression and what it's like to live as a person in a marginalized community within a, an, an oppressive society. That sounds incredible. Yeah, it's it's really, it's a very intense game to play. You have to confront, even fictionally, some pretty tough topics, and you're having to work out what your response is to them. When is violence okay to respond to people who are happy to use violence against you? What does intersectionality look like in your community? If you have some people who are who are queer and some people who are and some people who have disabilities and some people who are queer people who have disabilities what are the relationships look like between those people how do they value each other in their fight against the shared terror of of the oppressive society 
And it's, it's, you get to have those discussions and you get to play them out and you get to see what they look like to you and you get to feel those feelings. My favorite thing to do is run the Republic for a group of like, of just all white straight cis dudes and just see their faces go, oh, this is what it's like. Games can evoke those kinds of emotions as well because compared to movies, actually asking someone to step into a role and do it themselves is so much more powerful. Yeah, there's a there's an Adelaide there's an Adelaide academic called Jane Cox who I know who is doing her thesis on the role that games can play in changing people's understandings and behaviors by putting them into each other's shoes. And it's 100% about that, that, that element of seeing things through another person's eyes, creating that sense of empathy. And I think that's, uh, that's so powerful. And I think that's part of the reason that I'm so happy to see, like, in video games especially, we're getting games with protagonists who are women or, pers- or people of color. And I think that's, uh, I'm just so in love with, uh, with Uncharted Lost Legacy. That was just so good to, for me to be like, this is a game about women being awesome. That I, I love it. And I can just see myself in it. It can make me feel empowered. And men playing it can be like, okay, cool. This is what it, th- this is what it looks like when I'm being a woman who is powerful. It's not the same as, um, as being a, ma- a male character who is powerful. And I think that's amazing that we, that we can have that impact on people through our art as game designers. Definitely in creating those spaces for minority groups and things like that is important and it's great, again, like you've just said, to allow people to step into those shoes of something or someone that they haven't been able to enact. Yeah, it's great. I mean, like, and that's only one part of what games can do for people. If we think about Journey as a game, which is one of one of my favorite games, the way that that game can communicate to you the joy of free roaming across a landscape and also the the value of of hard travel, climbing up a mountain. Like Journey makes me want to go out and hike, which is a good thing for me because then I'll get, because it's good for my fitness, I'll get to see more of the world. And it's amazing. And similarly, another game that I'm writing at the moment called In Which We Live and Breathe focuses on the punk part of cyberpunk in that it encourages us to encourages us to look at ourselves as as groups and communities in contrast to corp, uh, corporations and how we how we resist those there's a, there's a theme in my work at the moment about uh, <laughs> resistance to oppression <laughs> but um, yeah we, we we can we can really traverse so much human experience with the way that we construct our games. Hearing you speak is really inspiring because I can tell your motivations are really just to, I don't know, it's like you're telling a story but you're asking people to be involved in this story and think about their consequences and their lives and like you've said about trying to help people analyse their own life and move past things, it's all over your work. I mean, it's the thing that I care, uh, care most about. I genuinely, part of the reason that I'm so excited about role-playing games is because we now have tools like Roll20 and Fantasy Grounds and and Twitch and Skype, and we can play, uh, and not only can we play those role-playing games across the internet where we couldn't before, we'd all have to get into one physical place, which is uh, which often made playing those games hard, 
But now, now that we've got those digital tools, we can start to augment them. We can start taking the things we've learned from video games and the things we've, we've learned from role-playing games, and we can start to merge them into some kind of super game. That's where I'm most excited. I'm most excited about, uh, about games where people are telling stories together in an environment where they can make it as evocative and meaningful and emotional as they possibly can and share that with each other. And they can tell infinite numbers of stories because that's what humans are best at. Humans, humans are best at making stories and no other animal does it as well as us. No other creature that we know of has ever done that as well as us. Computers certainly can't, uh, can't do it as well as us. I'm currently playing Caves of Cud and I love it to bits, but the procedural generation in there will never be as good as a human storyteller. And I'm so excited to move forward in game design, taking the lessons I, uh, that I've learned from digital game design and the lessons that I've learned from, from role-playing game design and some of the lessons I've learned from observing board game and card game design from other people and start to make these experiences that are about humans coming together, telling stories, to helping each other through emotional issues and working out how to get through life together. That's what I'm excited about. Have you found in all of your observations and learning that there are actually transferable skills between digital and tabletop? I feel like there definitely are. I think it's that situation where it's about understanding the theory at a very high level, at a very uh, conceptual level, understanding what, uh, I think the things like the, the MDA, the mechanics, dynamics, aesthetics model can be applied to most games. I'd spend a lot of time talking about what games are. I say silly things like all computer games are rhythm games because I, I, I focus very much on the, the high concept theory of what games are and how they work. And that allows me to transfer skills between, um, between different realms. That said, I'm also really excited in exploring, in taking the skills that shouldn't be transferable and make them transferable and just be like, oh, well, we're, we're taking this thing from this uh, from this tabletop role-playing game and we're just putting it in a digital game and seeing what happens. We're taking this thing that we do in a digital game and we're just going to try using it in a tabletop game. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But if it does work, we'll have something that no one has seen before and that'll be amazing. And that's, re that's really exciting to me. Does that also come from, you've mentioned before, about streaming and things like that through services. Does that come across as well, being out of, I guess traverse these different mediums to share yeah twitch uh, i stream on twitch um i know that um people use some other services as well i can't remember the names of any of them off the top of my head but yeah i stream on twitch and i play role-playing games there but at the same time i that's that's a really interesting space because it's not a traditional role-playing game and so we can start introducing new mechanics and new ideas the Republic has a, has mechanics in it for if you're playing in front of an audience on something like Twitch for the audience to get involved. They can vote to change the way that the world is working and the way that play happens. During my hold screens, I have a little game set up uh, so that while, while there's nothing happening in the stream itself, people can interact with their little goblins on the screen and, and build things together through, the, uh, through emotes in chat and things like that. So... Twitch to me is just another medium for this exploration of what games can be. It's just an all-encompassing world with you. It's just, I can see right back from the start, you're saying like it's just making games and being inspired from everywhere. It's just, seems like you just pull from all voices that you encounter. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Like 
you realize you were put on the planet for something and you're like, okay, cool. And everyone does a lot of talking about how it's important to, to have other hobbies to tie into your game design and all this sort of thing so that you have reference. But I just go around the world looking at all of these things. And I, I look at, at other hobbies and I go, great, this is excellent. I want to just take this and make it games. I want to look at gardening and go, okay, cool. I like this part of it. We made, um, we made a game called We Are Seeds for Resist Jam, which was an, anti, uh, an anti-authoritarian game jam. And it's all about planting positive messages of hope in gardens that then grow together. And that was just because we, we were trying to work out the, what does gardening look like? Because that's a very like wholesome activity. What does gardening look like when it's combined with like community support? Right. And I just, I, I love looking at things and, go, and thinking about them as systems and working out how I would emulate them. It's the lens through which I often end up viewing the world by default. So what are your next steps then? You've got a lot on. At the moment, I'm doing some work for, a co- I'm doing some contract work for a couple of uh, Australian indie, uh, indie studios. And I'm also working on The Republic, which is currently in early access, so you can get it off drive through. And also I'm working on a couple of other games. I, 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 over the Christmas break, I accidentally wrote like three games. So I'm, I'm focusing on a couple of those and trying to get them to a point where I can put them on, uh, where I can put them out into stores and people can start buying them, in which we live and breathe, I think, will be out into, uh, out to purchase in some form pretty soon. At the moment, it's available for free. I've got a couple of other role-playing pro- projects that I have with other pieces of intellectual property that I can't quite talk about, but it's very, very exciting to be interacting in that space between the digital and the, and the role-playing tabletop. I really wish you the best of luck with all of that. It just sounds like you're taking these amazing strides in making places for people to learn. And I want to thank you so much for chatting with me today. Uh, but before I let you go, would you like to shout out all your social media and where anyone else can find you online so they can keep up to date with absolutely everything that you're working on? Yeah, definitely. So you can find me at a CGAC, A-C-E-G-I-A-K, on Twitter. And you can you can check out my Twitch channel um, there. I'm also on Tumblr and Instagram. YouTube has all my VODs from my Twitch channel. And you can also subscribe to my Patreon if you want, where I put all of my, my tabletop role-playing game design stuff on my Patreon when it's in progress. So you can get sneak peeks and early previews at what I'm doing. But thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming. And everyone listening, you better get on that. Get on that Patreon. Yeah, give me money. I need, <laughs> I need it. Before we wrap up the episode, I'd like to say thank you to the Indie Games Room for their support. You can check them out at theindiegamesroom.com or get the latest news at Indie Games Room on Twitter. If you'd like to follow me, I'm at Kinda Dorky Fun on Twitter or Kinda Dorky Fun Times on YouTube and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening to Indie Development and remember to subscribe so you can catch all the episodes. Bye!